Hello, folks. This is Steve Adubato. I'm here with my colleague, Mary Gamba, my co-host. Not in crime. I don't like that expression because we are above the law all the time. This is the Leadership Hour on AM 970. You're also checking us out on our podcast. By the way, Mary, we don't charge for the podcast, is it? We don't, right, Brian? You have to I be mean, on iTunes, is that just right? Just on iTunes. It is provided free of charge. That is Excellent. good to know. I said that last episode, so I, I was hoping I was right there. So, I'm How else can people check us out? They can also check us out on Google Play if they don't have an iPhone for iTunes, as well as on our website, stand-deliver.com. We have free columns, tips, tools, videos, a lot of great resources there, as well as a link to get your book, Lessons in Leadership, which is fantastic. And they can also find us on Facebook, Steve Adubato, PhD, and on Twitter, Steve Adubato, and that's A-D-U-B-A-T-O. Yeah, so if you're just tuning into the Leadership Hour for the first time, the deal is this. Mary and I, together with the folks at AM 970 in New York, um, started talking about, hey, they have a great series of programs dealing with a whole range of issues, finance, real estate, health, et cetera. I said, what about if we did a show about leadership? And we thought, is there enough content? Mm-hmm. Is there enough to talk about? And the answer would be a resounding, yeah, that's not hard at all. And one of the keys to this program is not just what I say about leadership in my books or my seminars and my executive coaching, blah, 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 or what Mary says, which is really valuable. It's very but valuable. But more importantly, talking to leaders, talking to people who are living it every day who are out there in the healthcare world, in the world of industry, in the world of the nonprofit world, education, higher education, the religious world, et cetera, et cetera. And so the whole idea is to interview leaders who get it, leaders who live it, leaders who make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, leaders who are, in fact, on the front lines. And one of those leaders we are thrilled to be joined by right now. He's a friend. He's a colleague. He and his team at Holy Name Medical Center have been incredibly supportive and great partners of our PBS production company, the Caucus Educational Corporation. And this gentleman, Mike Marin, who is, in fact, the president and CEO at Holy Name, uh, he and I have talked leadership on air, off air, in forums, not in forums. And Mike Marin joins us right now. How you doing, my friend? I am well, Steve. Good morning. Thanks for having me on, Mary. Great to be with you, too. Absolutely. Good to talk with you. And we should also say that just last night, Mike and the team at Holy Name Medical Center, they were honored by the folks at a great school, a great Catholic school in Newark, New Jersey, called Cristo Rey Newark. Mm-hmm. And it is a great school. Mike and I are products of, let's just say, the Christian brothers. Mike was at Bergen Catholic. I was at Essex Catholic. My high school doesn't even exist anymore. They just could not do it financially. And so Mike and I are big advocates of, let's just say, not that we're in any way anti-public education, we're pro-public education, but we're very strong advocates of Catholic education, particularly in inner cities where some kids struggle to find the discipline, the structure, and the support they need. And Cristo Rey is one of those schools. And uh, Mike and the team at Holy Name were honored there last night. So congratulations on that, Mike. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. It was a great night. And we were real honored and, and humbled to be part of it. Cristo Ray is a unique school and deserves all the support and all the accolades that they can get. Yeah. So it's interesting. I was able to host. I was hosting last night, and Mike was speaking, and I, I told Mike I was going to bring this up. So Mike not only uh, knows Bergen Catholic well, your four boys went to Bergen Catholic, right? Correct, yes. And Mike said, great education. My two boys are at Seton Hall Prep, great school. But let's just say this. One of the things about Crystal Ray, these are kids who come from very 
challenging economic, urban, disproportionately backgrounds. They're struggling. Mike, you said Bergen Catholic's a great school, but sometimes you're convinced that the great leaders of tomorrow are likely to come from more challenging settings where kids who are in a school like Cristo Rey may know there are not a lot of other options if they don't succeed. What do you mean by that? As opposed to some kids who were in, let's say, more affluent communities. Talk to us about that. Did I misunderstand that? No, you're absolutely right. And I think the saying, kudos, I'm a big fan of, especially in New Jersey, the Catholic high school education experience. Seton Hall Prep is a phenomenal school. By the way, my oldest son teaches at St. Benedict's Prep, so I just want to get that in as well. So So St. Benedict's too, right? Burton Catholic, obviously, I'm biased, is one of the best, both academically and what we try to do there is mold young men or young boys, actually, into young men of character. That's really the goal, and it's a combination of academics and athletics and what we do. But the reality is that the socioeconomic status of the majority of the students that go to Bergen give them a sense of entitlement, a sense of privilege. And so when you're really trying to teach and instill strong character, it gets there. But the selfishness side of I go to Bergen because they got a great athletic programs and I want to play D1 football or basketball or hockey or whatever it is. And so that's a stepping stone for me. So I use the school for that purpose. And I know at the end of the day, if I stumble and fall, that my family has got the means that they're going to catch me. And so I can be a little more self-centered, a little less committed to my own personal success because the consequences aren't as great. To me, when you meet the kids from Crystal Ray and you understand the background that they come from and the reason that they choose, they could choose other schools. They choose Crystal Ray. And why do they stay? in Cristo Rey, because there's an element of discipline within Cristo Rey. There's an element of conduct that you have to comport with every day, no matter where you are, whether you're you're in the workforce program with you, Steve, or whether they're here at Holy Name or any of the other companies that participate. By the way, to Mike's point, Cristo Rey has a work, a corporate work study program that Mary headed up on our team, that some of the students at Cristo Rey come to work for our organizations to grow and learn. So I just pick it up from there, Mike. Yeah, and to actually help offset, so those sponsors help offset the tuition costs, right? So That's they have right, we to do. work every day at an early age, understanding that nothing in life is free, and someone's got to pay for it at some point in time, and you have to take personal responsibility for your future. And how you conduct yourself, how you speak, how you engage with other people is just as critical as the basic academics of math, science, engineering that are instilled in you in academia. It's the character. Why are these leadership issues, Mike Marin? We're on the phone with Mike Marin, CEO, President and CEO of Holy Name Medical Center, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba in the studio. Mike, why are these leadership issues? These are major leadership issues. Leadership, and Steve, you and I have talked about this. I, I had seen something recently, I read it, that to me struck a real chord. When you think about leadership, And there's a lot of theories around this. How's it come? How are leaders built and developed? Can it be learned? And I think most of the overall, it can absolutely be learned. There is an innate character to it. But this recent article was about the fact that it's like going to the gym and exercising, wanting to get yourself in shape. You can't just go to the gym once, you know, work out for 30 minutes and say, done, I'm in shape. (laughs) It's a gradual commitment, long-term process. You can't check off the box and say, I'm there. Yeah, 
and it doesn't happen in a convenient sort of one and done way. It's a long process and then maintaining it once you get there. And that's what organizations like Crystal Ray, and when you have that, the fiber that gets instilled, and this is one of the differences between a Crystal Ray student and a Seton Hall prep or a Burton Catholic student, they have no safety net. No safety net. Why is that a good thing? Because the pressure on them, that stress, to me, instills a lifelong fiber of character that will stay with them in perpetuity. And that is the first Mm. stepping stone into building tremendous character that ultimately becomes a leader. They will understand their roots. They're smart. They're intelligent. They will respect everybody. They know the value of working hard because they got to work to get themselves through high school. Forget college. Forget grad school. They got to work to get themselves through high school. And so at that early age, they realize all sorts of lessons, interdependency on other people, how you conduct yourself in relation to other people. Taking responsibility for your actions. Exactly. Not blaming anybody else, not saying it's Mm -hmm. never the other guy's fault. They take full ownership for their own lives and whether they're going to succeed or fail, it's on them. And I'm not ever looking to blame anybody. If you had a conversation with a Crystal Ray student that comes from inner North, has any of them ever blamed their plight on the circumstances of the fact that they were born into a socioeconomic depressed area of Newark? I've never they don't. heard it. Nope. They don't. They don't complain about it. It is what it is. I'm going to fix it. It's in my power, my control. I will do it. Mike, I'm going to switch gears here. Mary, you were saying something. We were doing a leadership forum. Mike Marin, uh, the CEO, president and CEO of Holy Name Medical Center, was one of the leadership experts. We did it Mm -hmm. with the Commerce and Industry Association, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Mike said something. You were in the audience, and it really triggered something for you because it goes to a different aspect of what it means to be a great leader. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, you had shared a story, and correct me if I'm wrong on the details, but it stuck with me, where you had felt so strongly about a book that you read that you locked the doors of the leaders <laughs> within your offices until they read the book, and then they were finally able to get back into their offices. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So every once in a while, because we're in a world that responds to extremes, <laughs> I took an extreme note. So one of a very dear friend of mine and a former board member at Holy Name Medical Center, Charlie Melly, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he was here at the hospital at the time and knew he was dying from cancer. And someone had given him the book, Who Moved My Cheese, as a way of him trying to cope with and understand the reality and the fact that life's changing for him, life's ending for him. And you can either be bitter or angry about it or accept it and make the most of what you have. By the way, Who Moved My Cheese, Dr. Spencer Johnson, a classic that Mary and I talk about all the time about dealing with change and making the most of it. Keep going, Mike. Sorry for interrupting. No, you're absolutely right. So it's a great book. It's a quick read, short book. And when I read it, one of the messages in the book is about comfort zones. And you need to be able to, especially good leaders, need to be able to get out of their comfort zone, identify them and know where they are. And at the time, for myself and all my top execs, our offices and our computers where we have a tendency to bury ourselves in emails and communications all day long became for me the definition of comfort zone. So I came in on a Sunday afternoon (laughs) and got one of our maintenance guys and said, 
how long would it take for you to change the locks on all my <laughs> vice president's doors? I love this. By thing. the way, this is Mike Marin talking, president and CEO of Holy Name Medical Center, a top healthcare executive in the country, getting the doors locked of all of his executives. Go ahead. So he said it would only take a couple of hours. He had the pores in the hospital and he would do it. I said, well, do it. I'll be back. And I left and I went out to a Barnes and Noble <laughs> and I bought a dozen of the books who moved my cheese. And I put them in a little gift bag with a note, personal card for me to each vice president and said, welcome to work. <laughs> Obviously, you can't get in your office. Please take the book, find some place in the hospital, read it. It shouldn't take you more than a few hours. Come find me and we'll talk about it. And so I hung the book on everybody's door and came in the next morning and locked myself out. I would not go to my own office. So I, I'm a big believer and you have to walk the talk. So right. didn't do it to myself. And I was amazed at the response and the reaction. Anger, one VP threatened to kick his door down. <laughs> uh, other VPs thought they were certainly getting fired. Don't take me out of my comfort zone, Mike Marin. Yeah. A couple of them thought they would be very shrewd. They had their laptops with them, so they said, fine, he's obviously lost his mind. I'm just going <laughs> to take my laptop and go somewhere and do the work the way I normally would do it. And, yes, a little less convenient because I'm not in my office, but I still have my laptop and I can do it. So long story short, at the end of that day, no one had come to me to sit down and have a conversation and said, I actually read the book and let's have a conversation. I ended up leaving them locked out of their offices for almost two weeks. No, I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah, so it took that long for them to finally break and say, all right, this is ridiculous. Let's just do what he wants. And, <laughs> and one of my top, actually at the time, would have been the number two person under me was Paul Mandela, which is a brilliant physician, sure. great, great man. He was my chief medical officer, and Paul had a very visceral reaction to it initially. Like, I absolutely had a, a psychotic break, <laughs> and what were I possibly thinking? At the end of the two weeks, he finally walked around the hospital, engaged the staff, talked to the staff, and he was the first one, saw what was going on, sought me out, and said, I did it. And I got to tell you, it was amazing. I saw people, I realized that there were problems that I could fix right there. I witnessed it, I experienced it. Far more powerful, far more effective than sitting in my office trying to address that in an email that I probably would have blown off wow. and that problem would have perpetuated forever. I get it. And slowly, one by one, all my top managers started to understand and get the message. And to Mike's point, by the way, who moved my cheese? And we encourage everyone to go out there and purchase it. It's still a pretty cheap book with big, fat print, and it's not long. It's about the difference between uh, – I can't say people because there are four mice in this story. Um, and who moved my cheese is the idea that they're in a maze. And I've said this a million times. Um, two of the mice expect the, mice expect the cheese to be in the exact same location every day. And they're lazy and they are on autopilot, and they do what they do, and they wake up and they go, there's going to be the cheese. And the other two are like, wait a minute, hold on. What about if the cheese happens to move and we don't know where it is? How can we prepare ourselves for the contingencies of where the cheese could be? How do we find the cheese? How do we do what we need to do until we find the cheese? The cheese is a metaphor for anything and everything in our lives. 
constantly changing around us. Let's just say this. The folks at Blockbusters never thought the cheese was going to move. Is that a fair analogy, Mike? Absolutely. Why is this relevant in the healthcare field? Because every day, everything is changing here. In fact, when you really look at it, in everybody's life, personal, business, I don't care what sector you're in, there is very little change. In healthcare, it's frequent, it's rapid, and it's large. Right? These are not small, gradual changes. If I'm in the emergency room here, I don't know who's going to walk through those doors on any given day. You got to be prepared to deal with that. Right. And then the consequences that it trickles through the rest of the hospital. How does that affect the operating rooms, the radiology department, the laboratory department, the inpatient units? It all trickles down. You need to be on your toes and expect to deal with the unexpected. Or don't assume, right, that the cheese is going to be in the same spot. We turn the lights on, same number of people show up every day. It's autopilot. not that kind of a routine. It's autopilot. We autopilot, call it autopilot doesn't work. By the way, Mike Marin, uh, President and Chief Executive Officer, Holy Name. Medical Center. One of the things Mary and I were talking about, Mike, in the time we have left with you, is that you've remained independent while hospitals and hospital systems all around you have merged. And we know some of those systems well, and we appreciate their support as underwriters of our programming. And I've done some work there, and that's great for them. For you and your board, you've chosen to remain independent. That is a leadership decision, is it not? It is. It is. Well, part of it is also circumstantial. So we've had our full, honest disclosure. We've tried to do deals with other facilities along the way. And others have wanted you. And others, yeah, no, absolutely. And those deals, each were for their own unique reason, didn't work. And for us, some of the most critical components, obviously we're a Catholic hospital, so we're faith-based. We don't wear our Catholicity on our shirt sleeve. We believe very, very strongly that the principles that should define a healthy church, and it's not at the moment. We touched on that last night a little bit. Talk about right? a leadership um, issue. <laughs> Go talk ahead. about a leadership issue, right, and a, a leadership void. So we believe you have to earn it. You have to live it. It's not in crosses on the walls, and it's not in the showmanship. It's in the actual caring for your neighbor as if it was yourself. Not to mention that Mike and his colleagues go down to Haiti on a regular basis, given the destruction and the pain, the suffering that has gone on in Haiti. Mike has led this effort with his medical team, with his staff. They are building a hospital as we speak. They've done so much for the people of Haiti. I'm not saying that because you're my friend and I'm kissing up to you, Mike. It's because you've been living it every day for a long time. So go ahead. Yeah. So for us, Steve, Mary, it really is about, and again, I actually see this as an advantage for us because we're one of, and soon we could be the only one. So our faith base allows us to publicly talk about things that the secular world shuns, right? You're not supposed to, it's not politically correct anymore to talk about God in a humble fashion. And at the end of the day, I'm a firm believer, if you cannot self-govern yourself, right? We're in this autonomous society, this autonomous culture where everybody, what you do to yourself, as long as you do it in private, you do it on your own, it's okay. And, and there's a civility to that, but we lose something. Because if you forget that the core rules of how we interact each other actually come from God, and that you will always, always be second to God, you never be God. So there's a humility that comes in that. And in that comes those values and those definitions of how you need to conduct yourself day in and day out. So for us at Holy Name and why we're able to stay independent, because medicine is highly personalized, we take that and we, we use our faith-based roots to really amplify that 
in that every single person who comes into our doors or comes into contact with us in our doctor's offices and our entire now health system, whether it's here in Teaneck or in Haiti or the Villa Marie Claire in Saddle River where people go for the transition at the end of life, every single person we touch, we instill in everybody to treat them with the utmost respect, with the utmost compassion and love and caring as if they were your own family. Yeah. And that translates into a service you don't get in the big box anymore. And the bigger you get, you lose that personalization. And when you lose that personalization, believe it or not, and the evidence is starting to show this, quality suffers. So Holy Name, one of the highest scoring quality healthcare facilities in New Jersey on all metrics, one of the lowest cost facilities on all metrics. How is it that we're able to do that and still be independent and still be extremely financially stable? It's the people, and it's how we interact with the people that we serve. Mike Marin, president and chief executive officer of Holy Name Medical Center. He mentioned Villa Marie Claire, and we've done some specials on public broadcasting about them. What an extraordinary group of people will help people at the end of their life deal with them and their families deal with the most incredibly challenging and difficult aspects of life and death. Talk about leadership. And by the way, next time we have Mike, we're going to talk about hockey. Mike has a history with hockey. He played hockey. Did some of your sons play hockey or all of them? All four of them. And then they went to college where? Providence College. Not a bad hockey school? No. Mary here with me is a rabid New Jersey Devils fan. We are going to talk Devils. Okay. We're going to talk leadership. That sounds and good to connect, me. And the connection between leadership and hockey. Oh, that'd be great. I look forward I to that. Great stories for you there, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Mike Marin, our good friend, I want to thank you for joining us on the uh, Leadership Hour. Appreciate it. Steve, Mary, thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure always with you guys. Uh, great job. All the best. You got thank it. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. It's interesting. Mike, Mike by the way, Steve Adubato here, Mary Gamba here, Brian Brodeur in the studio. Mike connects the leadership at Holy Name and the way they approach what they do every day to spirituality and religion. Mm-hmm. Not required. Sure. But in that case, the sisters who are involved there, many of whom are on the board, they're religious leaders. Do you think it's an advantage for someone in Mike's position, it's a Catholic hospital, to use the Catholic piece of it to keep them grounded in the fact that you are there for others, A, is it an advantage, B, is it required to have that religious orientation to do those things? That's fascinating. In hearing Mike talk about it, obviously it is a requirement and not in a negative way, not like, oh, you need to do this if you work here. It's because obvious. by the way, many of who are treated are not Catholic. Exactly, and it's not just about being Catholic, I think you hit it on the head with spirituality. Spirituality to different people means a whole variety of things. So whether you believe in God or or what you believe in, it's believing in something bigger and greater than yourself. And you do. Correct. But you're not, I'm going to say, you're just not an average churchgoer. No, not at all. And it's funny that you bring that up. Again, we always talk about our kids, but my mom had asked my son that question a couple of weeks ago, and she had said, do you believe in God? And I was nervous for the answer because I know, (laughs) I. and again, everyone's different. And I know my mom is very religious and prays every day a lot, a lot. 
And I pray. I believe in God and a higher power, but I'm not into going to church. I don't think you need to go to church in order to believe. But then my other son, Will, took it one step further and said, Your you want to know son. what? My older son, he's 16 and didn't even miss a beat. He goes, Grandma, he's like, actually, no. He I said that. Mm-hmm. But he goes, I believe in something. I believe that there is something that unites all of us, that brings us all together. And this is, again, a 16-year-old, right? I'm like, who is this kid and what do you do with my son? And he literally said, I believe that there is something out there that really at the core is holding us all together that makes us want to help one another and be there for one another. And that's what makes me, you know, get out of bed every day. That's what makes me hold the door for a stranger or ask why someone's upset. And so I think it's less about believing in whether it's one God or one spirit or whatever it is that you believe in, but believing in something greater than yourself. Because if it's just about you and you're always putting yourself first, and Mike Marin, you know, it said that as well, the president and CEO of Holy Name Medical Center that we just had on, he had said that it's about believing that, you know, you're not the only one, that others do need to come first. And it's about caring, empathizing, and that is a leadership trait. It's interesting. It's often referred to as servant leadership. Yeah. And someone might say, why are we talking about religion, mm -hmm. Catholicism, or any other religion? I happen to be Catholic. I happen to have been raised, mm -hmm. educated in many Catholic schools. And my sons are in Catholic school, and another son teaches in a Catholic school and went to Fordham, a Jesuit school. They have an entire leadership philosophy there, trust me, which is often not in line with the mainstream Catholic Church's leadership position. Why do I say all this? It's because I often do wonder, as leaders, how much of, whether it's religion or spirituality or a sense of something greater than ourselves, needs to drive how we conduct ourselves every day. Now, how does that play itself out from a practical point of view? It's like, think about this. So uh, I, I've said this before on the Leadership Hour. By the way, Steve Adubato here with my colleague Mary Gamba, Brian Berdour in the studio with us. I often said this when we had to make budget cuts at our organization. Now, you would say, why are you talking about this in the context of religion, spirituality, something larger than us? I'm like, well, we had to make budget cuts. And we had to take a certain amount out of the budget in order to be more fiscally sound. Okay, fine. I remember sitting there, and this isn't to pat myself on the back. I remember sitting there going, all right, how do we deal with everyone's salary situation, healthcare situation? Brian was actually a part of that as well with his production team because they do virtually all of our production stuff. I'm sitting there going, well, what about if I take an extra 20 or 30 grand and increase my salary because I'm the one raising the money? I'm the one who's doing this, and so why don't I just take care of myself right now when we were doing it, remember? Mm -hmm. And I think, on some level, it's gonna sound crazy to you. Partly it was Catholic guilt. It was, and, and by the way, I'm calling it Catholic guilt mm -hmm. only because I happen to be Catholic. Yeah, it could be any kind of. I thought, mm -hmm. I thought I couldn't live with the idea until we got more fiscally sound of even looking at my right. situation. It was like, how do we take care of everyone else? I mean, it's gonna be pain across the board, but how do you not do it in such a way? Plus, I make more than everyone else. It wouldn't hurt me as much. But I'm sitting there going, if you just say, what about me? Let me take care of me. A lot of us CEOs, I'll get my golden parachute. I screwed up the company. The company's going bankrupt. The stock is worth nothing. I'm taking my $20 million because I can, and I'll get out of here. Mm -hmm. In my crazy mind, I'm sitting there going, I couldn't live with myself. Now, that doesn't make me such a great person. It means there's something about knowing what the right thing to do is, and it ain't the right thing just to take care of yourself. 
Is that religious? Yes. And that's what I think separates, again, I'm Presbyterian, so I, we used to always say it was so like— So you admit that. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> and we always used to say it's like watered-down Catholicism because we don't have to confess our sins and we oh, don't— we yeah, do, trust We me. don't do CCD and all that oh, other we stuff. we do, trust me. Exactly. <laughs> and I did give my kids a choice. And frankly, I feel a little guilty sometimes because— I gave them a choice, but I wasn't taking them to Sunday school anyway. So what were they going to choose? Obviously, yes. they're not going to go if the I don't make them least go. resistance. But on the flip side, if I wasn't really buying into this guy up there that was talking and telling stories and, you know, I... I you mean the priest? Yeah. And I believed more in teaching them the values of being good people, caring about others. I think that that Those is Those are leadership traits. They are. Is that religious? It depends on what you define religious. Were you doing it for religious reasons? No. I was doing them for human being reasons. But that's the Judeo-Christian exactly. model. Yeah, but that's the common sense model. And that's what I think leadership comes down to. It's common sense. It's looking at the bigger picture, not just looking at what is going to be best for myself at this exact moment. And what is my vision? If there is one theme that I have seen since we started the Leadership Hour, it's a leader is a true leader. If they remain true, they know what their vision is. They communicate that vision. Now, that doesn't mean that the vision is right or wrong. We're not talking about right or wrong, but they have a conviction to the mission, the vision. They communicate it, and then they lead in that and direction. And take care of yourself last? Yeah. Brian, you got anything here? Well, you know, talking you don't have about to share so much about your religious <laughs> orientation, no, but, no, but but there I is grew something. I Catholic too. Yeah. So, but, but growing up is the key, Catholic, and then after that, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> That's right. But, but, but Mike Marin really struck me because Mike is saying that is what grounds him. And by the way, to be clear, they literally have they're building a hospital yeah. in the poorest section of Haiti, taking money out of the bottom line. Right? Mm -hmm. They're not making money doing this, and for him, it's his religious underpinnings that drives him as a leader to do that. Now, I'm not saying everyone has to have that, but what about for you? Does, is it in any part of your world as a leader of this organization? Faith and religion, you mean? Yeah. Does it inform your decisions as a leader, or do you think, like just Mary said, just do the right thing. It's common sense. Well, I think, as Mary said, it's values. And for everybody's different. And for me, I was raised in a Catholic household by two great parents going to church every Sunday. And certainly those values informed me as a person. I don't currently attend church on a regular basis. I'm certainly less faithful than I was brought up, but I absolutely have the values from that upbringing that religion was part of it. Does it influence you as a leader? 100%. 100%. Me too. Interesting. And a lot of it, and I don't like saying this, it's guilt. Mm-hmm. It's having a guilty feeling if I know that I'm not doing something that is right for the people around me and I'm, quote, just making sure I take care of myself. But then that's interesting, though. And by the way, when I do the wrong thing and I raise my voice or I handle things terribly, a lot of it's guilt but that you just treated of, someone poorly. Right. But instead of driving your choices based on guilt, why not just flip the switch and then lead in such a way that what's driving you is doing the right thing. Easier it's, said than done. Mary, whatever gets you to be... Listen, I, for, I know, I agree. I'm, I'm, trying just, to, I'm being honest that for me, growing up in Catholic, mm -hmm. for school, in, I mean, I'm talking about Catholic grammar school, high school, and then some college. And it's like, look, 
Do the right thing. What would Jesus do? And I'm not turning this into a religious show. I'm not. It's like, well, Jesus would think about other people first and sacrifice. Well, I am Jesus. I'm not even close. But I'll tell you what. I know when I'm being selfish. I know when I'm being greedy. I know when I'm being mean-spirited. I know when I'm talking about someone behind their back. I know. For me, it's guilt. It's like, wow, you really should feel terrible about that. And that's what motivates, motivates me to try to do the right thing. I cannot believe we got into this discussion. And now, Mary... Whether it's church mm -hmm. or no church in your case and Brian's or mine's on occasion, um, the time is done for the leadership hour. It is done. Did you think we were going to do this? No, I didn't think we'd go in this direction. But I tell you, it's just everyone that's listening, just do the right thing. Just <laughs> The show is going to be called Just Do the, do right, the right Thing with Mary Gamba. Steve Adovato, this is, in fact, Do the Right Thing with the Leadership Hour. Steve and Mary and Brian will be back next time Sunday at 2 p.m. on AM 970 or Check us out on our podcast. See you next time. Take care. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Bill Sproul. The Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters is committed to educating the public about critical economic issues that affect their daily lives. That is why we are proud to support important programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, New Jersey Sharing Network, dedicated to saving lives through organ and tissue donation, Holy Name Medical Center in Teaneck, New Jersey, healing begins here, New Jersey Resources, Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, your future is in our building, and by Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. Promotional support provided by NJ Advance Media and AM 970 The Answer. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. We, in fact, are coming to you from the Agnes Varis NJTV studio in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. It's our pleasure to introduce two guests who have been with us before, two experts who know politics and government, Dale Florio, Republican strategist and founder Princeton Public Affairs Group and Philip Alagia, Democratic Strategist, Chief of Staff in beautiful Essex County, where we are taping. Good to see you, gentlemen. Good to see you. Nice to be here. Full disclosure, we're doing this program a few weeks after a historic race. Um, Congress goes Democrat, the House. Senate stays Republican. What do you think that means in terms of the ability of folks to work together on the issues that matter in our lives, Del Florio? Uh, Steve, uh, hope springs eternal. Uh, but what do you think? I, I'm not very optimistic. I mean, the, the President uh, Trump has shown a proclivity to stir the pot. Uh, and it looks, at least as of today, that Nancy Pelosi may be the... Let's maybe, assume she is. What do you think it okay. means? Well, then you have, you have a California leader and you have a New York leader, uh, Senator Schumer. East and West Coast, very liberal-minded uh, legislators. Uh, it, and Trump, it's just not going to mix. You it's do a, not it's a, see... It's a toxic mixture. A toxic mix. So Philip Bellagio from my old neighborhood in the north border of North New Jersey, you knew politics then and you know it even better now. You say? 
the most divisive time. I mean, we talked about how in the past Democrats and Republicans would be in the legislature, would be in Congress, but they'd get together afterwards to talk about things. I don't think you see that anymore. Either you're left or you're right, either you're red or you're blue. Is it, it worse? I, from my perspective, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you're going to get things done. I think you want to get victories. You don't want to get compromised. You know, the one thing, and I don't want to be overly philosophical with two guys who understand the nuts and bolts of politics and campaigns, but I've been thinking about this a lot. You ever notice how people who say, and again, Phil and I grew up in the same neighborhood, know a lot of the same people. Some of those folks in suburban Essex and other places, they like Donald Trump. They believe in him. And so if you get into a conversation with them and say, you know, you see how the president said this thing about women or someone's appearance. Oh, that's ridiculous. Look at the economy. And I'll, and I'll ask where they get their information. And here's the point I'm making. And by the way, my progressive friends, same thing. Hate him no matter what, no matter what he does. And here's my point. You notice more and more that people who have a certain point of view basically get the information they want to get and need to get that reinforces what they already believe, don't look at anything else? Or am I making too much of that, Dale? You're not. I mean, uh, research data sa says that people go and they look for information from places that they're inclined to agree with. Uh, we've had this conversation before, Steve. I, social media has done so much positive for the world at large, uh, but I think it's also driven a stake in our, in our ability politically to agree, to disagree, and then move on. Uh, when somebody can run and do a press conference uh, or, or put something out over a tweet and go to millions of people that get energized and excited, uh, it, it doesn't allow for much conversation in, in between. And both sides use it effectively. And uh, to Phil's point, uh, it's become very polarized, and there's never any time in the middle to take time out to talk things through. Well, look at you guys. I mean, you guys have known each other a lot of years, operatives. But in government, government's about getting things done. Both of you have worked to get things done. Are you the anomaly? I think there's a significant uh, difference between the branches of government. I think an executive has to get things done, where the Congress and the Senate and the local council and stuff, they, they have a different perspective because they're not leading their municipality, their town, their state. The governor has a different position than the legislature, who, who can philosophize and make laws and do different things, but doesn't have to get thing, as many things done. And legislators can what? Just throw bombs and be critical and that's Absolutely. it? And they're not accountable for what they do? Well, I think they are accountable, but it's significantly no, in their easier minds. to throw bombs. And you, know, you, don't, you don't have to get results. So bring it back to New Jersey. We have a Democratic governor. We have two houses of the legislature, both Democrats. Um, why is there some gridlock in the state house if everybody's a Democrat in control? Because of the, uh, I'll, I'll put some of that blame on redistricting. Uh, when you look at the legislative districts uh, in New Jersey, they're, they're, they're pretty safe. There might be four or five districts. Defined safe. Meaning that uh, you're, if you're a Democrat or Republican, you're going to probably win by north of 55% every time. And many in the, in the 60 well, and 65%. How does that hurt the process? Because legislators don't have to be as accountable to their voters. They say they are, right? But if, you, if you're in a district that could go either way, human nature is you're just going to pay more attention to what your district is, is saying. When you're not, I think the political uh, uh, quotient goes much higher. So when you have a very safe legislature mm -hmm. and a governor who's now there for a couple years, uh, it leads to partisan battles or nonpartisan battles, as the case may be. Donald Trump, you say? I say it's uh, embarrassing that he's our president. Really? A absolutely. Like, take politics away. You've been a Democrat your whole life. Take it away. Absolutely. As a leader. Misogynistic. He's someone who just says the wrong things at the, at the wrong times. 
you know, my children ask me questions when I have the news on that I don't want to answer because of our president. There's something, listen, I'm not going to say everything's wrong. The economy's in great shape, but he just needs to, to watch what he says. Words matter, Steve. Uh, you know, dealing with this whole caravan, the way he's dealing with uh, pitting one side against the other, calling himself a nationalist, it's, it's embarrassing. I don't like his style. Uh, I like some it's of the... It's not yours. It certainly isn't. You've always been a gentleman. I don't like his style, but I do like some of his initiatives. Can you separate them, Dale? It's, it's getting harder and harder, Steve. And I, and I saw it... You were the Republican chairman of a very significant Republican county it, up in Somerset. It's getting you harder. You really don't... It's... Well, I, I, have to look, I have to look locally. I haven't, I haven't seen a wave like we just saw in this past election at the congressional level since Jim Florio was wiped out. You in mean his the Democratic term. wave? The Democratic wave that, right. that brought us to 11 to 1 con uh, de congressional delegation split, Democrat to Republican. I haven't seen this kind of wave since Jim Florio was wiped out in his midterm elections when both houses went Republican and I believe uh, veto-proof majorities. Was that largely about Trump? This 11 to 1 majority for the Dems? Without a doubt. Uh, we, I, you, well, Trump at the top of the ticket and New Jersey's attitudes toward him certainly attracted some very good candidates. I, I think the Democrats fielded some pretty good candidates against some strong incumbents. But he was a major factor. But he was a major factor. Phil? Absolutely. I mean, we saw numbers in areas, you know, we picked up a freeholder seat in Somerset County, Burlington County, now has Democratic freeholders, and I think it's all because these you know, middle voters came out not to, to, to vote against Trump, and it was really a big benefit. Well, what does it do, sorry for interrupting, Phil, what does it do for people like John Bramnick? We have John's a regular guest of our leaders, leader uh, of the Republican Party in the lower house in the assembly. He wrote a piece. He said on the floor of the legislature, hey, we need to stop demonizing each other. We need to just disagree without saying rotten personal things about each other. He got pushback from a lot of Republicans who said, keep your mouth shut and you don't represent all of us. I'm thinking, Dale. He's trying to do it the right way, and some Republicans don't want that. Look it's, at you just looking at me like that. <laughs> because you agree with him. You agree with Bramnick. I know you Re do. Republicans are in a very difficult position. You want to, right? You want to support your president if, he, if he's of your party. On policy. On policy. Well, in everything. You, you, you'd like to embrace the style, but it, it's, it's difficult. And you just have to look at the numbers. The numbers don't lie. Yeah. And, and that's what's making Republicans kind of scratch Final their comments, heads. Phil. Look at the uh, Senate race that was just completed. Bob Menendez wins that race. Most of the advertising on both sides was negative. They didn't talk as much about issues. About, it was about all these sordid tales. And, and, you know, but unfortunately, negative campaigning works. No one wants it, but it moves the needle. Trump's style <clears throat> trumped uh, Bob Menendez's ethics problems. That's interesting. Gentlemen, keep coming back and breaking it down. Uh, and I'm also curious governmentally how things move forward. Dale Florio and Philip Malagia, thank you guys for joining us. Thanks, State Dave. of Affairs. Thank you. We'll be right back right after this, promise. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. I recently moderated a forum hosted by Choose New Jersey on a new federal initiative called Opportunity Zones. Now, this is a program that looks to spur economic investment in communities throughout the country. Now, many of those communities are, in fact, right here in New Jersey. At the forum, I spoke to elected officials, business leaders, and others about opportunity zones 
and why they matter in New Jersey and, of course, across the country. Here now are those interviews. This forum, as engaging as it is dealing with real life issues, uh, the part of the strategic direction of Choose New Jersey? Absolutely. Choose New Jersey is going to start to evolve. It is an, a wonderful organization, has the ability to convene some of the best folks and some of the folks that will actually end up to be able to articulate what the economy needs and, and be a liaison to the community. Thanks, Jose. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, you've been involved in economic development in the city even before, well before you were mayor. What do these opportunity zones potentially mean to the redevelopment of a city like Newark? Well, it's a, an infusion of investment in areas that have been neglected for at least five decades or more in this city. Uh, there, you know, helps us, uh, you know, expedite the kind of development that's already happening, but also push some real development in parts of the community that need it so desperately. And I don't think if we, if this legislation didn't exist, we would be able to have this kind of investment opportunity here. Um, financial institutions, other folks are not investing in neighborhoods that need it the most. It's just not happening. This is a, a way to incentivize them to get that done. Uh, this is a first step. And so uh, we are eager to see what happens out of this. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Yep. Frank Giantomasi knows the city of Newark very well. We're at the Choose New Jersey Forum with Senator Booker. Governor Murphy talking about, quote unquote, opportunity zones. This project could mean a lot. You know a lot about redevelopment. Critical, critical to towns like Newark. Uh, this is probably the single best thing that the urban centers can get from the t Trump tax package. Uh, the impacts of this are dramatic. I predict that you'll see more infusion of uh, dollars from, uh, from liquidating events of stocks or real estate with capital gains issues into urban centers. I think that Newark, Patterson, Camden will be direct beneficiaries. I'm so excited to hear what's being said today and to have the partnership of Governor Murphy with our federal guy, Cory Booker, who's writing the regulations which are going to control how this is all defined. I think today is a great day for New Jersey, and it shows that we're moving the state forward. Thank you, Frank. It's an honor. Thank you, Steve. We're here with our uh, good friend Linda Bowden from PNC. We just listened to Governor uh, Murphy and United States Senator Cory Booker, Opportunity Zone Projects. The connection to the banking community, what does it mean? Oh, well, I'll tell you, we're, we're, New Jersey um, is an enormous uh, opportunity for us and the better our neighbors do, the better our communities do, all boats rise, including our banking industry. We can, as people go back to work, as people make money, as people support their families, as people reinvest in the community, they need a place to save. They need someone to help them with their financial planning. They need to ensure that they're saving for their children. And so we would love to be a part of that solution. This is a big deal. I mean, there are a lot of economic development initiatives talked about in terms of urban communities. This feels different? It does, because I've never seen this kind of financial incentive. I think it's, it's very exciting. And what I particularly like about this is any investor can participate. This is not something lofty that only a very select few can participate in. Anyone can participate in this. Everyone in New Jersey can be part of the solution here. Mayor, uh, we just listened to Senator Booker and Governor Murphy talk about these opportunity zones. Now, your community, Bridgeton, right? Yes, Bridgeton, South, South Jersey. Now, we're in Newark. We've heard about your community. You've actually been on with us before. What could these initiatives, these Opportunity Zone initiatives mean in a community like yours? A city like Bridgeton, which we are one of the smaller urban areas, and so the Opportunity Zones can make a great impact 
we are trying to build on our food industry because we're a city surrounded by farms and our investments are in food and dairy. And so this could be a game changer for our community. So, so, so say uh, an investor, potential investor says, I'd like to go to Bridgeton, but you're saying these Opportunity Zone tax incentives, particularly on the capital gains side, make a big difference. Yes, it would make a big difference. Uh, small towns like Bridgeton are often overlooked especially in South, New Jersey, also in South Jersey, between Atlantic City and Camden. So this was one weapon that we can share, we can use to attract businesses and see that they can make money in cities like Bridgeton. Thanks, Mayor. Thank you very much. The leaders in the business community are, in fact, here at this Choose New Jersey event. Uh, we just listened to Senator Booker, Governor Murphy, talk about um, these Opportunity Zone projects. Michelle Sikirka, I'll get to Tom Brack in a second. What could it really mean? Well, what it means is creating a great opportunity for investment at the local level. I mean, we do know there's capital gains money sitting on the sidelines. So this is a great opportunity for investors to give back into their own communities. And we know there's folks out there that want to do that. We see impact investing all the time. And Tom, you not only know the business community, you know the banking community in particular from your past experience. Big impact? What kind of impact? It could have a big impact. I mean, if we can uh, package this with some other things in the state, and uh, provide this great tax benefit to investors because of where we are location-wise, it could have a huge impact. But there's got to be other pieces in place, Steve, to make this work effectively. Like, Well, the, the competitive issue we have, the affordability issue, if we can work on some of those things and combine it with this, then we have something that I think we can compete very effectively around the country. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Michelle. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, and follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is pleased to welcome once again Dr. Sharif Al-Nahal, who's the Commissioner of the New Jersey Department of Health. Good to see you, Commissioner. Thanks for having me, Steve. We're taping on the 13th of November. Things will evolve quickly. Our partners here at NJTV News will cover this story on a regular basis. It is the adenovirus outbreaks up at the Wanaku uh, Center. Ten children, as we are speaking right now, have lost their lives. The role of the Department of Health here is? Well, it's really a tragic situation, Steve, and our role is to assist the facility as much as possible in making sure that they contain the virus as much as they can. We don't have as many tools for adenovirus as we do for other types of outbreaks. There's no cure medicinally. There's no vaccine. It really depends on every staff member for every patient uh, following all the protocols, having gowns, gloves, washing hands thoroughly for every patient. And that's what we're making sure they do, both in assistance, but also enforcing those standards uh, through our mechanisms. One more follow-up question on this. Is there a reason why the rest of the state of New Jersey, particularly those of us with children, need to be worried? Uh, not, this is not a risk to the general public, Steve, thankfully. Uh, this is not normally a virus that causes severe illness in folks with normal immune systems. Unfortunately, at this facility, you have a lot of medically fragile children. Their systems compromised, their immune system. Exactly. The immune system, the part of your body that fights infections. And these children, it's compromised relative to the general population. And so they're particularly at risk, which is why you're seeing a lot of the bad outcomes. If you're listening to us on the uh, audio, the radio side, Steve Adubato here, State of Affairs with the Commissioner of the Department of Health. Uh, 
Dr. Eleanor Hall, let me ask you this. Let's talk about um, the whole question of, of, and again, timing's interesting here as well. There are these open enrollment periods, periods as it relates to the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. There's an initiative, and we'll put up on the screen right now, it is called Get Covered NJ. What is it, and what does it have to do with getting covered? I really appreciate you asking about that, Steve. It's a really critical time for people to get coverage, especially for those who are uninsured. Uh, we have a lot of options available to folks. This is open enrollment period for the Affordable Care Act. What is that period exactly? That period is from November 1st through December 15th. It's a six-week period. So if this is seen after, if this edition of State of Affairs is seen after that, then what? So you that's why we're, we're really trying to get the word out as much as possible. We have a website out there, uh, getcovered.nj.gov, right. uh, that really allows folks to get on and see all of their options in a really simple and easy way. And we have some of the benefit of the Governor Murphy's policies that have made these plans even more affordable this year than they have been. 10% lower premiums on average uh, than in previous years, thanks to work of the Department of Banking and Insurance, our department, human services, and getting the word out, uh, and the governor is very committed to getting as many people as possible enrolled. Let me ask you, uh, Commissioner, when it comes to autism, this is an issue that you and your colleagues have taken a great interest in. Um, the New Jersey Autism Center of Excellence, what is it? It's connection to Rutgers University. Why does it matter to everyone in this state? Yeah, so autism is a really important problem, especially in New Jersey. Uh, arguably, we have uh, some of the highest rates reported because we are among the best states in the country in recognizing and diagnosing autism. And what centers like this do, what our Council on Autism does out of the department is allows for uh, better clinical care and more research. Uh, going forward and how to fight autism and prevent it. And so that's what these organizations do. Uh, by the way, uh, check our website, which will be up right now. We're doing a comprehensive multi-part series on autism, um, how prevalent it is, um, how the state is dealing with it, how not-for-profit organizations are dealing with it. Um, but my question is, from because you're a medical doctor, you understand these issues very well, how prevalent is autism? Autism is a lot more prevalent than you think. Uh, you have uh, a lot of... Uh, children that grow up without a diagnosis because parents don't know about the signs to look for. And that's why it's important to get as many people access to a pediatrician uh, and folks who are able to help and give assistance to families uh, as possible. And so New Jersey is far ahead of other states. We have a lot more room to go uh, in fighting autism and uh, Department of Health is front and center in that. Final question here, how early can you think it's realistic to potentially recognize the signs that a child has or is somewhere on the autism spectrum, if you will. You can recognize them pretty early. There are a lot of milestones uh, for uh, normal social development, the ability to smile uh, and respond to family members, to parents. Uh, all of those things can be recognized early. The diagnosis comes a little bit later. Uh, but having a regular follow-up with pediatricians that's looking for these milestones mm -hmm. really helps. Commissioner, again, having a health commissioner with a clinical background matters. The opioid crisis in the state. There's thinking here that there is a way to help those who are dealing with opioid issues, who, who are addicted to opioids, with cannabis. Um, help us understand that initiative in the clinical thinking. Oh, absolutely, Steve. Uh, first of all, there are actually studies out there that show that medical marijuana is an effective replacement for opioids in pain control. 
uh, as part of the governor's reforms in our medical marijuana program, we've added pain as a diagnosis for which people can get medical marijuana. Pain is a tricky problem to treat. You only have on one side your Tylenol, your Advil, medications like that. On the other side, you have opioids with all of those risks associated with it. And you don't have as much in the middle. Medical marijuana is a very effective treatment for pain. It's also much lower risk uh, mm -hmm. for opioid treatment. We're also considering it as an addition to uh, medication-assisted treatment, which is the evidence-based standard of care for opioid addiction, to have medical marijuana come in as an adjunct, as an addition to that therapy, to help people bridge into recovery who are addicted. Uh, we actually started, kicked off our series called The Future of Healthcare in New Jersey and in the nation with the commissioner a few months back, and we're continuing that conversation by talking about a range of issues. You see the car right there that makes it clear that this is part of the future of healthcare discussion, so I'm curious about this. I asked you about this once before, I'm gonna ask you again. One of the other initiatives we're involved in has to do with, it's called Right From The Start, NJ, the site will be up right now. It's dealing with infants and toddlers and their needs. Now there's a whole childcare issue that we deal with other colleagues in the administration about, uh, Carol Johnson and others, but from a health perspective. Birth to three matters so much because? It's a really critical time for development, Steve. Uh, these are the times when uh, a healthy relationship with caregivers and family members means so much for the development and functioning of children as they grow up. Uh, reading to your children is so important for their brain development. There are studies that show that simply by reading to a child every night, their performance in school, their performance professionally, all of that really, really matters. And so emphasizing uh, what parents can do, what families can do during that critical time frame is really important. One minute left. What have I missed? 2019, top two or three goals? Uh, really want to make sure we enroll as many people as possible uh, in the Affordable Care Act, as I mentioned, getting more people access to medical marijuana, and finally tackling uh, the opioid epidemic, which is affecting so many lives. Yeah, real quick, go back on this. Um, the, the whole question of open enrollment, does that mean if it's not the open enrollment period, like post, not like, but it is post December 15th, you cannot enroll? Uh, yeah, the enrollment period closed, and unfortunately, the Trump administration truncated the time frame. They shortened it. And they also, uh, didn't they reduce the amount of uh, funding for advertising and promotion and public awareness? They did, and in response, the state has tried to fill that gap by funding navigators much more generously, and you have uh, multiple departments engaged in that. So we're trying to fill in a gap that was purposely put in place by the Trump administration to get more people. Real quick, before I let you go, when it, does it open up again at a later point after the 15th of December? Not until next year, which is why this critical period is so important for people to enroll. Uh, Commissioner Sharif Elnahal is Commissioner of New Jersey Department of Health. He has a huge job, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us in State of Affairs once again. Thank you, Steve. I'm Steve Adubato. Thank you for watching this edition of State of Affairs. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Adubato. Check you out next week. Thanks so much. Thanks, Commissioner. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 25 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at Two Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, New Jersey Sharing Network, Holy Name Medical Center in Teaneck, New Jersey, New Jersey Resources, Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, 
and by Guarini Institute for Government and Leadership at St. Peter's University. Hi, I'm Judge Michael Giles. As a trauma surgeon, my son, Randy, saved lives every day of his career. When he unexpectedly passed away at the age of 43, Randy continued to save lives as an organ and tissue donor. The New Jersey Sharing Network was with us when Randy gave the gift of life. They are committed to saving lives through organ and tissue donation and educating the public about the importance of donation and transplantation.